The Start On Demand. On demand. The sidewalk clearing in Winnipeg is a joke. That's what one downtown resident says. He uses a wheelchair. And while he understands the city's plow crews hit the streets in force, he feels like they did a less than desirable job on the sidewalk. So we speak to him and to the city of Winnipeg for a response. Greg was on vacation this past week. He shares his experiences of the COVID testing he had to go through. Speaking of COVID testing, rapid COVID tests at your neighborhood pharmacy. Are they ready? And we spoke to the author of a kid's book called Sushi and Samosas, A Trip of Tasty Transformations. It's a book about parents who are adventurous foodies, but their kids are a bit more on the picky side. So we had lots of fun talking about picky eating. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Monday, November 15th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is back. G-Mac, you picked one heck of a week <laughs> to get out of Dodge and head to sunny California. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Bob Irving retires. The Blue Bombers lose a game. Winter shows up. More COVID cases. Changes to public health orders. Did I miss anything else? Like, did you get married this week or something, Brett? Like, <laughs> what did I miss? Oh, anything man, else? That would be the that would be the sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> Come if on, if that were to happen. <laughs> no, I did not get married. Okay, all right. Well, I was at one heck of a wedding in Southern California. Uh, I have to tell you, it was really like one of those weddings you see in a movie. Or on a television show. It was absolutely incredible. The weather was picture perfect. It was 33 degrees oh. in Carlsbad when I left there Saturday morning. And I think it was a little bit warmer still in Palm Springs, which is where we flew in and out of. And if you've ever or, or not ever been to Palm Springs, holy crow, what a charming little place that is. I'm putting that on my list of places to go for more than three hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, it's great to be back. He said with a little uh, sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, it's great to be back. Home is home. The boys didn't travel with us, so miss the boys and the dogs. But, <sighs> yeah, coming home to winter wasn't exactly uh, what I'd hoped for, Loren. It's warming up. Yeah, we'll like go with someday. that. Go someday. with that. Yeah. Like not, maybe not today or tomorrow, but, you know, like in the future, it'll get warmer. <laughs> it'll go away. I enjoyed it. With the exception, I have to say, I kind of like the first couple days of the snowfall is a nice feeling it looks pretty out there it cleans things it does up beautiful but the streets man like i i had a couple moments of driving on the highways you know to get to kids hockey games on saturday and sunday where it was just icy and a little bit quite frankly nerve-wracking and depending on who's around you and how they're driving you're stressed out and so i do i do not enjoy winter driving and that's that was sort of the I almost felt guilty over the weekend because like Friday morning obviously was nuts and it was a mess and it was windy and it was miserable. But then like by Friday afternoon, I stepped outside and the wind had gone away and the snow had stopped and it was actually I thought it was kind of lovely. And I was very happy to not have to drive anywhere. I ended up taking a cab home from the pub because I thought, ah, I don't feel like walking through this. Uh, and then Saturday I went for a walk while it was snowing again. But because there was no wind, it was 
I, I don't know that there's anything I find more relaxing than finding a quiet spot when it's snowing gently and there's no wind. I went out, out to Munson Park and it was so, so relaxing and so perfect. Mm-hmm. And I was also relaxed because I was on foot. I wasn't uh, in a car. Although I guess for, and we're going to be talking about this, for those on foot, uh, it's not necessarily a walk in the park, so to speak, Loren. No, and I think, you know, I watched several people. I was out for a walk Friday and Saturday, and again, actually just today, there's a, I, I ripped out to get a coffee earlier this morning, and there's a guy running on the street because the sidewalk still hadn't been cleared. And uh, same thing happened Saturday and Sunday. I watched people in different communities I was going through and suburbs where they were on the street to walk because the sidewalks weren't cleared. And on, at 7.07, we're going to talk to a downtown resident who also uses a wheelchair and says, you know, Saturday and Sunday he had to get, pushed through the snow several times by friends because the sidewalks haven't been cleared. And, and he's, you know, for years been saying, like, we have to make our sidewalks more of a priority. And he's asking the question, if sidewalks get a designation of P1, meaning priority one, and roads get a designation of P1 or P2 or P3, if they're both at that P1 level, are they actually at the same priority level? And the argument is probably... No, they they put they create this priority system, but the, it's very clear the priority, Greg, is still the streets. Well, the streets were in uh, fairly decent condition. Obviously, a residential plow has uh, not been done as of yet. But once I got onto Chief Pegwa's trail, uh, my first encounter uh, was with a coyote sprinting across Chief Pegwa's trail <laughs> through the snow. That was absolutely beautiful a little you know unnerving knowing that the coyotes are living that close to my house but that's been a reality for the last few months uh in north kildonan and then when i got onto henderson highway uh they were plowing sidewalks they were plowing sidewalks the active transportation uh corridor alongside chief pedigris trail and then it looks as though brett they're clearing out the bus stops as well along henderson highway so here we are I guess Thursday or Friday was the first major dump. Was it Friday? So we're Saturday, yeah. Sunday, Monday, three days in a bit. For those that count on transit, for those that walk back and forth from the bus stop to home, those uh, like our guest at 707 that use a mobility a, a device, yeah, I think there are some still some outstanding questions as to to what needs to be a priority and what is made a priority in terms of this snow clearing because it... it yeah, I know we uh, we all drive here, but we will have more on this at seven oh seven and nine oh seven. We'll speak to the city about this. Also, I learned yesterday that uh, I need to be better prepared for a power a power outage. The power mm-hmm. went out in my building. I mean, I think I've come home before to to see that there had been a power outage, but to actually sit in the dark for two hours hasn't happened yet since I've been in that building for a couple of years. And at first I thought, well, this is kind of neat. And then I thought, ah, I really wish I had a candle. I'm, I, I need to, like, I wish I was into things like candles. Um, I think I've got one buried somewhere in my storage closet. But yeah, I couldn't do anything. I just had to sit there with my cell phone and hope that it didn't burn out my battery because I didn't know how long it was going to go. Went I for was two nervous hours. for you. I was like, you can't just count on the 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 phone to see your way through your apartment. Not because I was worried you wouldn't be able to handle the dark. I was like, then his phone goes out, then he can't get up in the morning. Yeah, because <laughs> I found because my alarm clock has a battery port, and I found yeah. some batteries, but I guess the batteries are dead. So I need batteries for that. I should probably get a candle. I should probably get. Uh, I've got a flashlight somewhere, but the batteries for that are dead because I just use my cell phone battery. But it's you know, cell phone flashlight's not very good. And by the end, I was actually cold. I finally, I have not yet turned on the furnace in my suite. Um, 
but I finally did it when the power came back because my hands were starting to get cold. Does your furnace, does your heat work if there's no power? I'm guessing no. No, just everything everything died. Gee, I ba- barely had even had water pressure. I thought, oh, I might have to leave if the power doesn't come back soon. I'm going to call up Smash Gordon and say, Dad, I need to crash there for the night. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb back together again. Loren was off a week ago. Greg was off last week. Coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock, we're going to talk about concerns over sidewalk clearing. We'll speak to a man who lives downtown. He uses a wheelchair, and he describes the sidewalk clearing as a joke. So we'll hear what he has to say. But right now, I, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was a picky eater. What do you do if you're an adventurous person with your culinary tastes? But, Loren, your kids are picky eaters. Oh, this is uh, this is hitting home in some ways, not just as a parent, but as how our, how I also was maybe a bit pickier than I should have been growing up. So one of our colleagues, of course, has written a book to tackle this very topic. Brett Rishma Govani is the chorus director of News and Radio Communication and is now also a published kids book author. She's written a book about picky eaters who have adventurous foodie parents. The name of the book is Sushi and Samosas, a trip of tasty transformations. Good morning, Rishma. Thanks for taking some time with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. So this book introduces us to Rain and Asha, who would rather stick to chicken nuggets and fries. I think uh, most of us can relate uh, to that, either personally (laughs) or (laughs) with our kids. So how did you get Rain and Asha to try sushi and samosas? So I'll tell you about what I expect in real life with my kids is that they need to take one bite. And often one bite isn't enough. Like you have to take two or three to really get the flavor of what you're eating. And if you don't like it after the third bite, that's okay. You can leave it. And maybe it's something you can pick up in another few years because our palates are constantly changing. And while this book is like, you know, targeted towards kids, what I've been finding uh, from a lot of the feedback, which has been really positive and delicious, is that adults can relate to it, right? Because it's not that, um, you know, we're often closed-minded too, and we just need to really open up our minds and try to experiment and, and try new things. Maybe every couple of years, two, three years, you think you've, you know, you're never going to like olives, and you never know, you know, a few years later, uh, you, might, you might change your palate and like them. I don't want to get in a fight with you about olives, but I am never going to like olives. But that's fine. We don't need to. We don't need to go down that road right now. I, there's an interesting thing going on out there too. I just we have so many options available now, right? Uh, the, the grocery store sells so many different food items from all over the world, and you can go out and eat anything you want at a restaurant. And so it's really about becoming more uh, aware of the different cultural and food availabilities that are around us, and and gaining awareness through food. Exactly. Um, what was not readily available maybe a decade ago or at least, you know, 20, dec- 20 years ago is available through grocery stores. And, um, you know, even mom and pop, uh, you know, restaurants are popping up all over the place. They were really obscure and hard to find, but they're more common now. And I think food is such a good way to get to know each other and bring the world closer together. That one bite brings us so much closer together um, you could be on a walk with your dog. You could be talking to parents at a pickup or a drop-off. 
and it's it's a common um, safe topic that really brings the world closer together. And so I think it's I think it's really good to be able to talk about um, food in that way and say, you know, I tried this type of ramen noodles, and then someone else interjects and says, oh, but have you tried this? Or this is how you pronounce. Uh, so it's really called fa, and it's just an easy way to get to know each other. Um, and uh, like I said, just, you know, bring us united uh, and, and get to know all the cultures uh, that the world has. As I mentioned, I was a picky eater when I was a kid. That's changed now. I'll try just about anything. But I do know some people who are very stubborn and dug it. Their heels are dug in. They're meat and potatoes, and that's it. And and I was just I almost sometimes feel bad for them because I feel like they're robbing themselves uh, of potential experiences that they'll turn out to really enjoy. One of the refrains in the book, and it's written in uh, rhyming prose, is the more you try, the more you fly, right? Your world can literally expand when you try these new things. And it is scary. And, and um, you know, people are stuck in their ways. But when you do do that, I can, I can attest, and I think it's kids and adults uh, um, together, your worlds really open up. I think um, it's a great way uh, to you know, again, get to know each other and and bring diversity to the forefront. It's not something that, you know, just needs to be taught as, as a, you know, in class or as um, an educational tool. Um, theoretically, this is an actionable way to get to know each other through food. Um, and so I think it's really important to constantly keep trying. Um, the, more, the other refrain is the book that the parents are always trying to, like, um, you know, scold the kids about is the more you go, the more you know. So I, I think that's another important lesson there. The name of the book is Sushi and Samosas, A Trip of Tasty Transformations. Its author is Rishma Govani. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate this very much. Thanks for having me. Make sure you try something new today. And I'll link, I'll, I'm going to put uh, a link to this on our 680CJOB Instagram story. GMAC, I feel like this is a book I might need to get you for the holidays. Yeah. It's not a bad idea. You know, I've been open to the palate maturation process when it comes to wines, to beer, and then to a lesser extent, scotch. So maybe I need just to uh, extend this to food a little bit more. If you and- add those drinks to it, it'll just help, I think, as well. <laughs> I think it might, it can't hurt. How's that? There you go. (laughs) Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we just had a conversation in our previous segment with an author named Rishma Govani. She's written a book called Sushi and Samosas, a book about the kids' book, about parents who might be adventurous foodies, but their kids are picky eaters. So let's talk about picky eating, and we've got stuff to give away. This week, we have two tickets for the tenor's Santa's Wish Tour to the Centennial Concert Hall on Wednesday, December 1st. So based on your text messages on picky eating, we'll pick a winner at 9.15. For me, we would you used to go to the Red Top. Parents like to take us to the Red Top. And like I, the only thing I would have was a toasted bacon sandwich and like that's it just toast <laughs> and bacon and i no refused. butter no mayonnaise nothing? i get there was probably butter on it but i just refused to try anything else i don't know why i know i remember it being a source of frustration i just liked their bacon i guess 
I don't know. <laughs> My brother Kevin was exactly the same way. That was his go-to, was a toasted bacon sandwich and nothing else on it. If there was butter on it, my grandma had to start from scratch. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, All yeah. Right. disasters <laughs> several times over the years on that one. <laughs> so tell us a story. Let's go around the horn here. Jeff Braun, let's start with you, sir. Yeah, no, I like the sound of that toasted bacon sandwich. Nice and dry. Mmm, yum. I, might, I think I have some bacon. I might have to cook some of that up for lunch. I don't know. I was a super picky eater. I was one of the pickiest eaters on the planet, I think. And uh, I'm much better now, except my big thing still is I, I don't like condiments of, of any sort. Like, my my fridge is bare just because I don't have any ketchup or mustard or eight different kinds of salad dressing in there. <laughs> it's just something I've never been able to get on board with. It's partially the flavor. Partially, I think, you know, just the feel of it all, like, I don't know whoever took a bite of their dinner and decided, you know what this needs? This needs to be wetter than it is right now and came up with all these condiments. I don't know. It just seems silly to me. <laughs> all right, Jeff. Uh, Portress, what about you? Well, let me tell you a tale, everybody. Gather around. I'll spin you this yarn, a tale of young Cameron Poitras, big dimples and all, a young chubby-cheeked boy, the apple of his parents' eye. And one day, young Cameron Poitras had a thought. He was a picky eater, and he had this thought enter his mind. And that thought was, if I eat this and swallow it, I will not die. And from that, that day on, henceforth, he's been able to eat anything that his heart desires, and he will try and eat anything. <laughs> so he used to be a picky eater, uh, and now Cameron Poitras will eat anything. And the more pickled, the better, right? <laughs> Pickle it, whatever. Do whatever. It doesn't matter. Slather it and... It doesn't matter. I, I will try and eat absolutely anything. Uh, there's certain things I don't like for sure. I don't like okra. I think it's slimy. Uh, I've, I've tried it, but I would still eat it. Like if you gave me a giant bowl of, of okra, I will still eat it. The one thing that people think is weird about me, I have no appetite for fruit at all. Like I will eat fruit. You can put it in front of me, berries and all that stuff. I've tried to be a fan of them because everyone just talks like they're the greatest thing ever. And I just don't really have an appetite for it. I will eat all kinds of fruit, I, 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 but I don't really enjoy it. Okay, yeah. that's fair. Well, hey, I, I I'll eat fruit and I like it, but I never find myself craving it. Like, yeah, yeah I could go for a big bowl of raspberries right now or <laughs> yeah. something, which is, I wish that was the case because then I'd be much healthier. Uh, Greg, what about you? Oh, boy, we don't have enough time here. But my arch nemesis when I was uh, a kid were, were peas. And uh, the only way that I could consume peas were to put them in my mouth and wash them down with milk. <laughs> you wouldn't even chew them? No. Chewing them was out of the question. People talk about this explosion of flavor. That's the problem. It's a texture thing with a lot of the foods that I don't like. I don't like things necessarily exploding or popping or doing things other than just, you know, just chewing. And so, yes, uh, green peas and uh, milk to wash it down. Uh, my mom tried the old, if you don't like, you know, if you don't eat it, you're not going to eat with pork and beans, three straight meals once. I outweighed her. She finally gave in and gave me something else. So, uh, and another strategy with uh, tuna fish sandwiches, always too much mayonnaise in the tuna fish sandwich. Bite, bite a sandwich, bite a cookie, bite a sandwich, bite a cookie. And uh, that's how I got through probably half of my lunches in grade seven. <laughs> Uh, we've got our Jets report with Kelly Moore coming up in a couple of minutes. Um, as just a heads up. Loren, what about you? I like to, like, I will eat, I'll try anything. And I definitely, I, I like Greg's strategy where 
you know, you have the water or the cookie in between. Because I think, you know, when you go to someone's house, you should eat it. For example, I was just on the West Coast and friends of my parents said, let's go out for supper or treat. He ordered chicken livers for us all to have at the table. And I was like, mmm, so good. And my mom later laughed at how I was like <laughs> drinking so much water that night because I was just <laughs> washing it all down. I had no time for it. But I'm like, a th- I'm a texture person too. And also like if I make eye contact with certain foods, I don't, I won't finish it. Like a chicken wing. Like if I, if I look directly at that wing and see all the different tendons and things being pulled off that bone, I'm out. So I kind of like have to look in the distance and not stare at it. If the meat is too red and I see the blood, it's the same thing. But if I eat in the dark, like I would be fine. So I don't know what that's about, but I will try anything. And just when I made a joke about olives in the last segment with Rishma, who wrote the book on, on picky eaters, I hate olives. I have always hate olives and I just wanted to share moved to Israel, rented an apartment, had this beautiful tree in the front yard, and what fell from it a few months later? <laughs> Thousands of olives all over my front yard. It was like in my eye. Like, you don't like olives? Like, Cover your lawn <laughs> with <you> olives. <laughs> I'm just looking at pictures of chicken livers. Some of these look actually really good. They got like chicken it, livers with caramelized onions and wine. They're really good That's at itchy bad. I'll Very take good. That. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you love the caramelized onions, don't you, Forte? And I like chicken livers. Okay. They're delicious. Well, and you like liver and onion, too, well, right? Well, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a very weird person. I, mean, I wasn't a very picky eater as a kid, but if we ever went to a, a fancy restaurant, all I would get is spaghetti. That's it. Nothing else. Give me spaghetti. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, in our next segment, got to share some of the feedback we're getting on the conversation we had about picky eaters. Kristen, for example, saying, I feel personally attacked by this segment. (laughs) So we'll tell you why, because we had back-to-back listeners saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't like this picky eater stuff. So Hmm. apparently them's fighting words. So we'll explain in our next segment. But I want to get right into this here because the work continues on clearing away the snow that blanketed much of Manitoba over the past few days, I saw several plows out in, just in downtown Winnipeg alone on my way in. Uh, here in Winnipeg, most of the Priority One streets have been cleared, but how about those sidewalks? That's right. So here's why we're asking, Brett. Over the weekend, our next guest tweeted this. Went for a coffee with a friend today, about 300 meters from where I live, and they had to push me several times to get unstuck. I live right in the heart of downtown, and that's sort of at the heart of the issue here, Loren. Yeah, he had gone on to say that the clearing priority status in the city when it comes to sidewalks is somewhat of a joke. So here's what we know. The snow started falling a few days prior to that tweet on Thursday. Then another system moved in on Saturday. Like Priority One streets, there are sidewalks, including those in the downtown, that are also given Priority One status. And so the rules for those, same as the streets, is that they're expected to be cleared 36 hours following the end of an average storm. As of this morning... Here's the status in the east quadrant of the city, which includes the downtown. P1 streets, 100% cleared. Sidewalks and pathways, 7% cleared. So to be fair, the city breaks down clearing efforts for roads in its P1, P2 categories. It doesn't do the same for sidewalks, but you can see the discrepancy here. Alan Makewich is our guest this morning. As he said in his tweet, he not only lives downtown, he also uses a wheelchair. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for bringing this to our attention. I think, again, for, you know, the second, third, fourth year in a row, we're sort of talking about our snow clearing. And before we get into some of the questions you have, just take us through 
your experience this weekend when just trying to get down the street? Yeah, so um, started on Friday. I tried to get to my office to go to work, and I didn't make it half a block down my street. Uh, so I turned around and worked from home. And, you know, that was kind of understandable. The snow is still falling. I'm not an unreasonable person. I, I know they can't clear everything immediately. But, um, you know, going into Saturday, I thought, you know, maybe things would start getting better. Uh, as I mentioned, I went for a coffee with a friend uh, and, you know, to a place not too far from where I live. Uh, I got stuck several times. And, uh, yeah, so, and then yesterday I, I went out again and it was still really difficult to get around. So, yeah, just pretty frustrating. I think a lot of uh, Winnipegers feel your frustration on this, Alan. Uh, we are going to bring on the streets maintenance manager just after nine o'clock this morning. And, and this isn't the first time you've tried to raise this question and this issue mm-hmm. with the city. So we appreciate you doing that. You know, what's the biggest question in your mind that we can, that we can ask on your behalf? Oh, I don't know if I can pick just one. Um, as uh, Lorraine mentioned, you know, there's a big discrepancy between how we clear the streets and the sidewalks. Um, I live in the North Quadrant, technically, and uh, I just looked at the website, and it's 100%. Uh, 100% of the P1 seats are cleared, only 8% of the pathways and sidewalks. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure why we prioritize streets so heavily when, you know, a 3,000-pound car can plow through snow a little uh, a lot easier, I should say, than, you know, someone on a wheelchair or a scooter or someone who's using a cane to get around. Um, I'm not sure why we privilege car drivers so much in this city. Well, then what do you say to those who say, well, they, hey, there are more people in cars, so we got to get those streets cleared more quickly? Oh, like I said, you know, someone who's driving a car can, you know, drive through snow a lot easier than I can get down a, a sidewalk that's filled with snow. So, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't clear the streets at all, but um, I think there needs to be more emphasis on clearing the sidewalks and pathways. So you've raised this issue before, as Greg has said, Alan. What's the response mm-hmm. been? We're going to talk to the city at 905. The streets maintenance manager is going to speak with us then, and we'll ask him some of your questions. But you've raised this issue before. Is the answer that they are doing the best, that they are getting there, like that they don't have enough equipment? What are you hearing? Um, I don't hear too much from the city. Uh, it's a recurring issue. So, you know, obviously they haven't figured out a way to tackle it yet. Um, you know, some of the other concerns I've raised is um, – the accessibility uh, for Manitobans Act has a transportation standard that will be enacted soon. Uh, it will mandate that transit, transit infrastructure is more accessible, that it's maintained and cleared of snow during the winter months. Do they have a plan in place for that? Um, you know, uh, why aren't they considering maybe putting additional funding into um, sidewalk maintenance? Uh, it's an issue every year. Um, it basically traps people in their homes if they have any kind of mobility issues. Um, and, you know, that's not fair. Alan, you know, and uh, I feel for you having to, d- to deal with what you deal with. You, you, you're already uh, a terrific example of, of overcoming obstacles. But people without mobility issues, this may deter them also from taking public transportation, from walking, from maybe riding their bike. The temperature isn't ridiculous. Lots of people be willing to ride their bikes right now if those active transportation corridors were cleared as well. So without this being a, a top priority for the city, are we also inhibiting and prohibiting uh, certain people from taking the bus, from walking to their destinations and go, oh, it's just easier if I take my car? Yeah, that's a great point. It affects 
you know, everyone, uh, not just people with disabilities or mobility issues. Um, and we are a winter city. Um, you know, I think the city should be encouraging people to um, get around to take transportation. Uh, we're in the midst of a climate crisis, um, you know, and they should be encouraging things like mode shift and uh, active transportation. I looked at some of the bike lanes around downtown and, uh, you know, normally those are cleared pretty quickly and uh, they haven't really been cleared uh, as far as I can tell this time around. So I'm not sure, uh, not sure why that is. Um, you know, bike lanes are something I use in the winter too, because they're usually cleared better than the sidewalks. They're cleared down to the pavement, whereas the sidewalks aren't. Uh, so, um, you know, that's another option for me, but it hasn't been so far because they haven't been cleared. Um, another thing I'll say is uh, right on their website, it says priority one and priority two sidewalks in the downtown area are normally plowed to a paved surface whenever conditions allow. And I've lived downtown for over 10 years at this point, and I've never uh, encountered uh, a sidewalk that's been cleared down to the pavement uh, in that entire time. So it says when conditions allow, and I have a hard time believing that conditions haven't allowed in you know the 10 years I've lived downtown. So well, I don't know why that's even on their website. Well, Alan Menkowicz, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to discuss this with us this morning. Thank you very much. We uh, Again, we appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Macklin, McGarry, McNabb, we have tickets to give away for the Tenors Santa's Wish Tour, Centennial Concert Hall, Wednesday, December 1st, based on your text messages on picky eating. We had a conversation last hour with uh, an author who has written a book called Sushi and Samosas about kids who are picky eaters. Kristen says, whoa, I feel personally attacked. So there are actual studies on picky eaters. There is a theory that some people just have a stronger sense of taste, just like others have a better sense of hearing or a better sense of smell, etc. These super tasters get overwhelmed by too much flavor, and that makes sense to me. Kids tend to have better senses all around, so of course they are more inclined to have a more sensitive palate Mm. that gets overwhelmed. I find I have a tremendous sense of smell when it comes to things that that are either good or bad in a room, Loren. So I- I'm going to investigate this a little bit more. i got to build my argument for uh, why I continue to, <laughs> to eat this way. So, uh, Kristen, uh, I consider you an ally in this discussion. I uh, like Brett's text, too. Brett in Selkirk talking about the name that he uses. Our kids wouldn't eat a browned ground beef dish I would make. They absolutely love stuffing, so we called it meat stuffing. They'd eat it. They wouldn't eat apple crumbles, so we called it apple mousse. They devoured it. And that, that when the kids are little, that does work. Like, I used to call broccoli trees and say, like, you know, like these are just mini trees, and the kids thought that was great. Before they loved fish, we used to just say everything was chicken. You know, like, it's just fried chicken. Just whoa, eat it. It's, it's, but it's pickerel, but you... <laughs> you know, and they'd eat it because it has, you know, the, and now they get it. Like they know exactly what they're eating. But when they were young, like, what is this chicken? What is this French fries? It could be, it's none of those things. But. Tricking with food is not good either. It's fine. No, okay. I, you know, we never did that. My kids are really good eaters. But uh, yeah, I had at least one girlfriend in my life who, I, I, I didn't make her sign it, but we did have a pact. No tricking with food. Sounds like the lesson there that the kids will learn is that mom and dad say Lying is okay, so I'm going to lie. Okay. Just want to give you a couple more 
notes of feedback on our topic of picky eating this morning because we have those tickets for the tenors santa's wish tour centennial concert hall wednesday december 1st we'll pick a winner at 9 15 matt says i take umbrage with the term picky eater i consider myself to have focused tastes <laughs> i feel the term picky to be too negative a term i will yes. not eat eggs unless disguised as something else like waffles or pancakes or cake yeah. And I also detest seafood of any kind. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that that one, I, I will admit this, while I, I don't have a problem with eating seafood, I cannot be in the room if shrimp is being cooked. It makes me gag. I just, I have to okay. I have to flee the premises. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like it gives off some sort of different smell to you. Yeah, like I just hate it. Like even if it's just it. in garlic? Because normally you just smell the garlic, I think. I, I don't know. Maybe that's it. But yeah, shrimp just can't be around it when it's being cooked. Oh, hmm. It's just nauseating. More I don't know for why. me. Perfect. I like I'll, breaded shrimp. I'll eat, I'll, I'll eat it. Like, give yeah. me a bucket of it. But well, uh, I just said to Fortier, you know, the name change, I think, is smart. Like, like bread it, smart. Put it in butter, smart. Give it a new name, calamari, in. But you tell me I'm eating squid, out. Yeah, good point. That was marketing for sure, right? Right. Escargot. Nobody said you're having snails. They gave it a whole new name, and you're like, oh. Unless that's maybe that's snails in French. I actually don't know. Well, and I see here there's a food fib involving tomato soup. Yeah, Jan says, my granddaughter loves tomato soup. That is Campbell's tomato soup. A couple of years ago when I had an abundance of tomatoes, I decided to make tomato soup for her. No way. Would she eat it because it didn't come out of a can? I finally had to tell her a little lie. I told her that I make the soup for Campbell's and ship it to them. <laughs> she ate the soup and kept telling me how wonderful it was. Well, she's now seven years old, and she finally asked me if I really made soup for Campbell's, and Jan said, yes, I told her the truth. But okay. what I don't know is if uh, the little one still eats the soup. Stand by for the answer to that. <laughs> On Friday, Manitoba's Chief Provincial Public Health Officer, Dr. Brent Roussen, announced those aged 12 to 17 will need to provide proof of at least one vaccine or a recent negative test to take part in indoor recreational sports. As we told you earlier, Pharmacist Manitoba said it was unaware pharmacists would be needed to provide rapid COVID-19 tests for youth uh, next month prior to health officials' announcement. Well, the organization says pharmacists aren't yet permitted to do so. According to Pharmacist Manitoba President Ashley Hart, pharmacists in Manitoba, Loren, are only able to administer interpret tests for travel purposes. There is some time to work with here. The order that's going to require these proof of vaccines or a negative test for 12 to 17-year-olds to do sports inside, that doesn't take effect until December 6th. And Dr. Rusin said the test won't be allowed through pre-provincial test sites which is why pharmacists are going to be part of this. You can't go to those free provincial test sites. You're going to have to go to a pharmacy if your 12 to 17-year-old doesn't have the vaccine. So Ryan Chan is a pharmacist. He also owns and operates the Exchange District Pharmacy. Good morning, Ryan. Good morning. So let's just start with what you can do at your pharmacy. Like what kind of testing, if any, do you do for COVID right now? So we currently, uh, we partner with a company uh, and we do... uh, the rapid antigen and the PCR test. And the goal is to kind of detect if there's uh, the virus active in usually like the, the nasopharyngeal area, so uh, through the nose and through the throat area. 
So those two different types of tests, can you help us understand the different, the, the PCR, that's the provincial, the one that the provincial testing sites do, uh, if I understand that correctly, and if you could describe the difference between that and the rapid antigen tests, uh, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. So the PCR is more, I guess, accurate. It's like the gold standard for diagnostics. And what it does is it kind of looks for DNA. It looks for genetic material. And once you get the swab from the throat or from the nasal pharyngeal airway uh, pathway, uh, the goal is to see if there's COVID DNA there. And it's like it's like uh, finding DNA at a crime scene. If you find COVID DNA, it's hard to you can't really fight it. It's it's, it's there. Uh, so it's the most accurate, but it does require a lab, and it's the lab that does all the diagnostic, all the all the analysis. Uh, the rapid antigen is a different type of analysis method. And what it does, it kind of looks for a protein. And it's the surface protein of the COVID virus. And this is, it's almost like a pregnancy test. So it's a lot quicker. It's a lot more uh, faster to, to get a result. And you can get a result right away. What's the difference in accuracy between the two? Like uh, if, the one, if the rapid test is, in, you know, it's more rapid, it's quicker, uh, is it as reliable or as, as accurate? So, so I don't know the exact accuracy because that's more in the research world. Uh, to my understanding, it's, all, it's fairly accurate in the 90 percentile. I don't know the incidence of the false positives or the false negatives. Uh, the, the PCR is considered more accurate and is the test that's accepted worldwide, I guess, more accepted. The antigen test, again, because it could react with other viruses. So again, there is a potential for false negatives. And that's where, again, there's a lot of research trying to fix that. So you talked, Ryan, about the fact that as a pharmacist and an owner and operator of the Exchange District Pharmacy, you're sort of involved in testing at some capacity for some businesses. Are you preparing to do more to ramp that up once this order goes into effect uh, in the first week of December when kids will have to come get this test or if they don't have the vaccine? Yeah, so for, uh, I wasn't even aware of that order. There's a lot of politics involved with the, the testing and the diagnostics and whatnot. Uh, we... We have been doing this for a while, but we partner with a company to kind of do a lot of this. So it's, uh, and once the order kind of went through, we weren't even aware of the order. It kind of just popped at a last minute. Uh, but it does showcase the, the importance and the involvement that pharmacists can have at showing what pharmacists can actually do in helping out in this COVID pandemic. Well, Ryan, we appreciate you giving us some insight into what happens and and what happens next. Uh, We will uh, keep in touch with you as we get closer to that deadline for uh, December 5th and and, uh, appreciate you jumping on with us this morning. Sounds good. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Ryan Chan is a pharmacist. He owns and operates the Exchange District Pharmacy. It is 7.44 on 680 CJOB. Hey, by the way, our question of the day at CJOB.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Had to do with the updated public health orders that we learned about on Friday from Dr. Brent Rusin and our health minister. And just pulling those results up now, do you think Manitoba's new public health orders go far enough? Yes, no, or they go too far? 
67, pardon me, 66% say no, not far enough. 18% say yes. 15% say they go too far. So you can cast your vote on that. We'll update the question of the day soon. Mackling McGarry McNabb, heads up, Jim Toth, back in action this week. He was out last week. KK was in for him on the Jim Toth show. Jim was feeling under the weather, but he's good to go. He had a cold, so they had to stay home, which is, that's, that's the old school. That, that I simply would never have done it. So part of me kind of wants to get a cold. No? <laughs> Don't do it, Brian. Uh, but it's good to hear Jim's uh, on the mend, and he's back in action today from 1 until 3, and I guess as well from 12 until 3, Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras. He is the co-host. We want to continue. We were just talking about COVID testing at pharmacies uh, for kids who are 12 to 17 if they want to participate in indoor sports. If they don't have proof of uh, at least one dose of a vaccine, they got to get a test. Greg, you just went to California, which I imagine means COVID testing abound for you and uh, your bride. Actually, I ended up, Loren, getting swabbed not once, not twice, but three times. Mm. I'll expand on that in just a moment here. Uh, we, of course, had to have the PCR test in order to go into the United States. We did that on Monday. We got those results very quickly within uh, 20 minutes, in fact, of getting a test at a private clinic at a doctor's office here in Winnipeg. So then we had the, all the requirements in order to get into the United States. We landed in California just after noon on Tuesday. We left the United States just after 6 o'clock on Saturday, which meant we were there for just over 100 hours. And I know there are some people who are driving into the United States are only there for 48 hours so you can get a test in Canada, and that test is good on bo- to get in if you need it and to get back home if you need it. Well, we were obviously going to be there longer uh, than, than uh, that uh, maneuver or that strategy would work. So we needed to get tested in the U.S. So we get in, as I said, around noon on Tuesday, and because of when we were coming home, we could have got been tested as early as about 7 o'clock on Wednesday night. But that would have been before all the different events we were attending. We went to a dinner, we went to a wedding, and we went to a birthday party. So we decided to get tested on Saturday morning. We got those results very quickly within uh, about uh, an hour, actually. It wasn't the PCR test, it was the NAT test. My first test came back inconclusive, so I had to get swabbed a second time, which of course came back negative, but it has me wondering about the timing of this. Had we had our test done before all those events, how useless is that test? And then the fact that the events that we attended were on Thursday night and Friday and Saturday morning, well, if the incubation period of the of COVID-19 is one, two, three, four, five days, like the range really varies depending on which research you looked at, but it's about four to six days is sort of the heart of it. We got tested on Saturday. So how useful is that test coming back into Canada? There's just a lot of questions there with regard to the timing and the value of it all. I think this has been one of the questions, period, and we just had pharmacist Ryan Chan on talking about, you know, that's why the research continues on testing, because even here, if I went to a provincial 
testing facility, you know, and you get tested on a Tuesday and you get results Thursday. Well, is that, you know, could you still have contracted it over the 48 hours between when you took it and when you get your results? And then there's other things that are part of the equation in terms of which test is most accurate anyway. Brett, you asked that and he said they're still looking into it. And then on the flip side, it's, it's, it's really the only option if, if they're not going to mandate vaccines for all, then you have to give the option of these tests like they are doing for teachers and frontline workers and the rest who don't want to be wish to be vaccinated. Because there's also the argument that you know, the vaccinated still have odds of spreading COVID. So there's just no good solution here. I just wonder how, you know, when it comes to some sports for kids, if they're choosing not to be vaccinated or their parents don't want them to be vaccinated. You talked about getting that test three times, Greg. Like if you have a practice twice a week or three times a week and then a game two or three times a week that's a heck of a lot of testing going down no question about it and you know i guess the rapid antigen test is more of a, a swab of the mouth sure. versus the nose so it's not nearly as uncomfortable as the swab of the nose which is just you know i'll be honest about it it's not a ton of fun no you know and so if the pcr was the test in question and the one that was being uh, executed would that expedite some people's decision in terms of changing their mind on the vaccine, I don't know if it would or not, but let me tell you, I wouldn't want to be doing that every other day or two or three times a week. Thank you, no. The test that you took uh, in the States, the, the NAAT, is that the one that they do, which is the one that they do at the the, the provincial sites? The PCR. Okay. Yes. So did, did you get the... the nose. Okay, so you were so you didn't get the the swab all the way to the back of the skull. Pretty close <laughs> yeah. on the on the NAT test. It yeah. doesn't feel as though it's scratching the inside of your brain, but it's uh, <laughs> on the verge. It's in the aura of the brain, and so yeah, the d- tests are just a little bit different in terms of how they how they uh, gather the uh, information, I guess, and how it's processed. I, I'm not a scientist, but that's that's the one we took, and uh, that one was. 199 bucks US to get our test results expedited in oh. 2 hours. Okay, so that and that's each? That was each. Okay, so you had so 400 US for mm-hmm. the two of you mm-hmm. to come home mm-hmm. and then on the way out it was 225 Canadian. Okay. So we're now, close to um 7 800 bucks. To be clear, there's different rules here, right? You were flying, so there's there flying rules. And then, of course, if you're going into the U.S. by land, I don't believe you need a test to go to the U.S., but you do need one to come back into Canada. That's the way I understand it also. And it was Global's Joe Scarpelli who went down to the States, and he had to take he had to get his test before he even entered the U.S. so that he could have a result for when he, when he comes back. But then that begs the question, like, what's the point? If, right. the, if you're taking the test to show you're not bringing COVID back in from the United States, then what good is taking a test when you're at home in Winnipeg before you even cross the border? I just think that, that strikes me as, as just asinine. My, Which is like Greg's whole timeline here, right? If you had got it on Wednesday and then gone to a wedding, well, that, your biggest event where you put yourself more exposed yep. came after you would have, in theory, been tested. You didn't Correct. do that, but you could nope. have. Could have. Absolutely could have. Feel free to weigh in on this, 204-780-6868. We would love to hear your experience if you have traveled. Maybe you got something that you want to share, or maybe you're still reluctant to travel because of all this testing stuff. I mean, hey, that's act- like, I, sometimes they say, ah, oh, it's super cheap to go to Vegas, right? You can get yourself a package for 500 bucks, flight and hotel. Okay, yeah, that's cheap. But what about the $1,000 I might want to spend while I'm there just for, you know, for fun, but now you're having to save up extra money just to get these tests 
And for me, that's just a hard no thanks for now. So I'm, I'll wait this one out. Right now we want to talk about how there are as many as 13,000 internationally trained doctors in Canada who are not working as doctors. That's according to the Internationally Trained Physicians Access Coalition. Of those doctors, 47% are not in the healthcare field at all. That's a pretty fascinating number, Brett, when you consider the healthcare system is struggling right now with shortages in all sorts of positions. And so that's why some doctors, some internationally trained doctors now living in Canada are asking if it's time to change the evaluation process, take another look at it so more doctors can start working more quickly. Amr Khan is a national online journalist for Global News and has been speaking to a number of people about this story and joins us now. Good morning, Amar. Hi, good morning. Happy to join you guys. Well, thanks for taking the time. I'd, I'd love it first if we could just get an example because I know what yourself and a Global National reporter spoke to a number of different doctors who have been maybe trained elsewhere who are now in Canada. What kind of stories are you hearing in terms of the kind of training they do have uh, before coming here? Yeah, I think um, I think the thing to note is, uh, you know, in my life, I've come across a lot of people who are who are in this situation. And when we went out and spoke to different people across Canada, the examples were, uh, you know, bountiful. We had a woman who trained in Chennai, India, and in Oman, and had dealt with thousands of um, patients as a family physician you know, um, for over six years. But when she applied to come to Canada, uh, you know, that was one of the reasons why she was accepted uh, to be a PR here. But the process has just been enduring since 2018. She's been trying to get uh, accredited, going through and, uh, you know, upgrading her, her English to the proficiency that it needs to be at. And, you know, paying thousands of dollars to schedule her exams and COVID has not made it any easier to carry out these practical exams and to to learn some of this stuff. Right. Because it does require a bit of mentorship. So, you know, Dr. Saida Azam, um, the, the woman that we spoke to. Um, has has not been able to, you know, get accredited. And from here, it's going to take another, you know, it's going to take her exams. Then she has to get accepted into residency. And then it could take another, you know, three to five years just for her to get working. So we're looking at, you know, possibly seven years um, from the day that she's landed in Canada for her to be a working physician um, in our country. Amar, is this the same province to province with regard to having to go through all these different steps or are different provinces uh, bending, altering, uh, changing the rules on this front? Yeah, so so, so there is some variety in different provinces. Um, you know, Ontario and BC, you know, two, two of the bigger provinces, are, you know, kind of the same in, in how they treat foreign doctors. And, you know, a, a lot of it comes from where are you getting your medical degree from? It's going to get verified. And then, you know, coming here, you have to get training and then you have to go through the residency. It's, you know, for, for Manitoba, it's kind of the same, but they are, you know, they, they did include some more programs, um, you know, some one-year programs, short, some shorter list programs that, that do get doctors actually in and working a lot sooner into rural communities. Um, and obviously the reason for that is because, you know, foreign doctors, there's, there's, it, it's a, they're talented, right? You know, different countries are trying to bring them over here. So, you know, that's the method that, um, you know, as experts think, uh, 
these different provinces need to be approaching this problem is bring them here, you know, create avenues where you can bring these really talented people in to our healthcare uh, system in a very short uh, manner. And, um, you know, Manitoba is actually kind of one of the places where there are some different uh, methods set up through, uh, you know, practice ready assessments and specialty uh, practices and, um, you know, some, some programs through the Max Ratty College of Medicine. What's the Canadian Medical Association saying about all this? You know, um, we talked to them about, um, is this a fix, right? Because the Canadian, uh, we don't have enough doctors, right? That's, that's evident to anyone who's trying to find a family doctor in Canada. Um, the challenges are obviously incredibly tough. Um, but they don't think this is a, you know, a one-stop shop, um, to fixing our medical, uh, you know, health system. And, you know, there's long, long-standing staff shortages, they say in particularly, uh, primary care. We have all the resources, you know, um, but we do like licensing these people is a lot more complicated than just, you know, looking at their, um, experience and getting them in. And they do believe that this is something that could help, but it's not going to be the the key to to solving Canada's healthcare problems. Well, we thank you very much for bringing this to our attention. Amar Khan, a national online journalist for Global News, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you. Thank you. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, talking sports with the big man himself in just a moment. But Brenda, with a text on picky eating for a chance to win tickets for the tenors, Santa's Wish Tour, Centennial Concert Hall, Wednesday, December 1st. We'll give those away just after 9.15. Brenda says, I was an avoidance eater. I just don't like the texture of meat, like the good stuff, steak, roasts, chops, etc. I didn't know how to explain it as a small kid. I just always asked for hot dogs. So we were in Boston, and my uncle took us to an upscale steak-slash-lobster place, and I ordered a hot dog. (laughs) And my folks were red-faced, no doubt, so I just asked for bread and butter. Well, when we were served... I was served a hot dog. The maitre d' went to a hot dog stand for me. Lots of laughs and a big tip was the result. Very well done. Uh, Maitre d's and servers, Loren, that go above and beyond the call of duty always have my utmost respect. Plus, you saved your family like 40, 50 bucks, probably. (laughs) You know, I love, you know, I love that the kids want to try new things, but then I remember going out for the first time and they all, everyone realized that they liked lobster and crab and all the rest. I was like, that's an expensive, I mean, can we get back to a hamburger, please? I remember going to a restaurant and I think it was an Italian restaurant and, uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I asked, I ordered a pizza and my mom, I think she was annoyed with me saying, can't you order something like not so childish? I'm like, but it's an Italian restaurant and it's really good pizza. pizza. Like that's the best time to eat pizzas where they can bring it right to your plate, right? Like San Lucia pizza when I'm there. Oh man. I love ordering it at home, but when I get to go to the restaurant and next level good. Oh, so good. Now I'm just thinking of patio palooza. Those times we spent there (laughs) a few years ago in the afternoon. Oh yeah. We were spoiled. Yes, indeed. But Hey, tonight at seven o'clock, it's the coaches show with Mike O'Shea and our next guest, the voice of the Winnipeg blue bombers, the one, the only Bob Irving. Good morning, Bob. 
Good morning, you guys. How are you? We're doing all right. Uh, I haven't had a chance to speak with you since this whole hoax of a retirement announcement <laughs> last week. This is just like a kiss farewell tour, right? It's just an excuse to have a comeback tour next year. Well, that would be fairly dramatic, wouldn't it? But uh, no, it's not. It's not structured that way, Greg. It's. Uh, it, it is what it is. Have you heard that expression? It is what it is. And Fine. That- that's what it is. You're going to have to deal with it, my friend, yeah. and I think you'll be able to quite nicely. Yeah, I don't know about that. Anyway, we'll we'll move on from this. I'll, I'll okay. talk to you about this uh, later on. Uh, listen, it was quite a quite a weekend for a number of sports teams in this province. The Jets, the Moose, the Ice, and the U of M Bison's football team among them. Not yeah. on that list, though. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I confess to uh, listening to a large portion of Saturday's loss to the Alouettes in Montreal from California. It was kind of bizarre to have a 10 a.m. kickoff, but I absolutely loved it. I can only imagine it wasn't any more palatable in person than it was uh, on the on the radio, Bob. At the uh, top of the list of eye-opening performances, not in a good way, was no. the uh, play of Sean McGuire at quarterback. How large a concern should it be for? Blue Bomber fans. Well, I I think it should be a concern based on what we saw Saturday in Montreal. And let me just sum up what happened there on the weekend this way. You never play to lose, right? But in the Bombers situation, you'll field a lineup that you know gives you less chance to win. And you do it for the greater good, which is trying to keep all your starters rested and healthy for the penultimate game, which is the December 5th West Final. The competitor in you, and I expect Mike O'Shea wrestled with this, doesn't want to do this, but the logic of it uh, trumps the competitive desire. And so you sit Zach Kolaris, Jackson Jeffcoat, Brandon Alexander, Stanley Bryant, Pat Newfeld, Janarian Grant, because you believe it's the right thing to do. Now, if you don't win the West Final, people will second-guess your approach. That's just the nature of the beast. But there really is no right or wrong way to do this. It's been done different ways over the years, some successful, some not. So I think what the Bombers did in Montreal Saturday in terms of resting a bunch of players was the right thing to do, including Zach Kolaris. And the other part of it then, Greg, is getting a good close-up look at Sean McGuire, Mm -hmm. who, you know, didn't uh, come through in flying colors, I think it's fair to say. Now, I will cut him some slack in that the weather conditions were just awful. Uh, it started raining late in the first quarter. It was not very warm. It was a cold rain. Uh, you know, gripping the football was not easy. Montreal's offense it wasn't a lot more productive than Winnipeg's. They only had a, about 170 yards passing. So it was just a tough day for a quarterback to function, especially a quarterback who hasn't played since 2018, basically, is the last time he played in a game. So I'm not excusing him. I'm just saying it was a very difficult day for him to go out there and, you know, be at his best. Having said that, for sure, what you said is true, that uh, based on that performance, and that's all we can go on with Sean McGuire right now, right. it would make uh, Bomber fans a little bit nervous if anything happened to Zach Kolaris, which brings up the final game Saturday in Calgary. What do you do with Zach Kolaris? Do you throw him out for a quarter or two, or do you bubble wrap him and say hold off until the West final. And then he doesn't play for at least a month. So I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions because like I say, uh, there's not a right or a wrong way to approach this, but if it doesn't work out, whatever you do, if it doesn't work out, you'll be second guess until the cows come home. Yeah, that'll be a, a tough uh, discussion and a tough dis- decision. And I have to also guess at some point, 
Uh, the name Chris Strevler is going to come up on the coaches show today. So I'll just do it now. He got some playing time for the Cardinals in their loss to the Panthers. Uh, that won't soften the the Maguire blow or the, the Maguire performance at all for some folks, uh, Bob, who still have visions of uh, number 17 dancing in their head in blue and gold. Well, he's long gone, of course, and it was nice to see him get on the field. And the only reason he got some playing time is Kyler Murray, their starter, is injured. But uh, he looked pretty good. Uh, you know, the Cardinals lost the game, but they're still having a great year at 8-2. and two. So I kind of have a feeling Strebler's going to be uh, back in the CFL next season. It'll be curious to see what happens there. And you remember back in 2019 when Matt Nichols got hurt, the Bombers had Strebler who was proven to a point he'd played a number of games. And so, that you know, they had a guy that gave them a chance to win games. Uh, and then he broke his ankle, and they had to reach out to Zach Kolaris, and we all know about the happy ending on that one. But uh, right now, it, it, you know, the Bombers don't have a lot of choices. They're going to have to go with Zach Kolaris, and, and if something happens to him, uh, we shouldn't even be talking about this, should we? No, it'll be, you shouldn't. It'll be Sean McGuire against the world, so we'll see. Yeah, there's a, there's a jinx thing, Bob, we got to go with. Let's move over to hockey then before we say anything we're going to further regret. Jets had a big OT win on the weekend, and Mark Scheifele finally got his first goal of the season. That's, of course, when the Jets beat the LA Kings. It sets up a big week for the Jets. They got the Oilers tomorrow night uh, to wrap up the seven-game homestand, and then, again, they're in Edmonton Thursday night. So do we get a better sense of where the Jets stand overall after we get through these next two games, Bob, and we see a bit more of the league play? Well, I think so. I mean, the Oilers are off to a great start. They're 11-3. and They've got uh, one of the best records in the National Hockey League, led by Connor McDavid, the unbelievable Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, their two top players. I think what's happened with the Jets in this homestand, and it's been fairly successful. First of all, they got Mark Scheifele to score a goal, and you know he and Blake Wheeler have both had COVID issues and have missed some games and haven't been at full strength and whatnot. And still, the team has been moving along and playing pretty well. But the thing I'm most impressed with recently is they've lowered their goals against average quite nicely. They're playing much better defensively. Connor Hellebuck, I think, is back on top of his game. They've given up 38 goals in 14 games, and early in the season they were well over three goals a game. So they've improved in that area, but the two games against Edmonton will be a good test. You know, they've only played 14 games. They've got 68 left, or 58. Let me do my math. 68 left. Yes, 68 left. So the, I think the early season returns are quite good. There's great depth. Uh, they've played, you know, quite successfully without Shifley and Wheeler quite a bit, uh, and with Hallibuck, uh missing a game or two as well. So I would say so far so good for the Jets. Moving from the Jets to the Winnipeg Ice, they continue to roll along in the Western Hockey League, 17-1. and Yeah, this is an unbelievable year that the Ice are having with James Patrick coaching them. They've got some super young players who, you know, are going to be high NHL draft picks. And, uh, you know, they've scored 98 goals and given up 31. Uh, It's just stunning how dominant they've been and what a great team they have. And... uh, you know, if you, you're into junior hockey and want to take a look at the best team, maybe the best team in the country right now, they play over at the U of M when they're at home, and they are something else. They've got a spectacular team with some gifted, gifted young players, and, uh, you know, it's too bad they don't have a bigger arena to play in where more people could get out and, and take a look at them, but they're having quite a year. Yeah, the Manitoba Moose, 6-3-1 and one in their past 10 games. They're tied for first in the Central Division of the AHL, they've played a couple extra games uh, versus, uh, you know, Chicago and Iowa, whom they're tied. And, of course, the Manitoba Bisons, Brett, 
They beat the Alberta Golden Bears on Saturday. Now they head to Saskatoon for the Hardy Cup versus Saskatchewan Huskies. Yeah, they played on that snowy field at IG Field, which uh, we'll see what December 5th brings in that regard. But uh, good on Brian Doby's team. You know, they've had a lot of injuries at the quarterback position, but uh, they've, you know, worked their way through and uh, they're, they're advancing along the playoff trail. And it's pretty exciting. I mean, if they could win on the road on the weekend, that will really be a highlight of their season. Are they, are they, go ahead, Brett. I was just going to say, are they, are they Bisons, do you think, just two wins away here from an appearance in the Vanier Cup? Well, yeah, I guess they are. You know, whether or not they can get them is another question. As I say, winning on the road is is a tough deal in college football, and they will be the underdogs in that game for sure. Uh, but why not? You know, that's the question I would ask. Why not? Bob Irving, why not join us every Monday uh, just after <laughs> 830 on 680CJOB? Bob, a pleasure as always, sir. A shout-out to Vikings fans. The Vikings beat the Chargers, Greg. They're 4-5 and five on the season, onward and upward, right? Yeah, well, just as it uh, looks like Mike, look like Mike Zimmer might get the hook, if not from the Vikings themselves by the fans, uh, the Vikings all of a sudden uh, looking competitive. Uh, they're a tough team to figure out, aren't they? Well, they are. Yes, they can look awfully good some weeks. They lose a lot of tough, close games. Uh, and some weeks they look very good. Other weeks you wonder... What's missing? I mean, I don't have any answer to that, but uh, at least they're they're c- contending. They're competing, Greg. Let's put it that way. They're not out of it. Let's put it that way. Oh, I've got to ask you this before we let you go, Bob. Well, are, are the Detroit Lions, are they going to win a game this year? They came so close yesterday. Yeah, I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule. I wouldn't bet on it, but they did come close yesterday. And, uh, you know, if you can come that close against Pittsburgh, they wound up in an overtime tie then chances are they can knock somebody off. I wouldn't bet on it, but it would be nice because, man, talk about a miserable year for a team. They have just been brutal, and they've been that way for, it seems like, decades, doesn't it? Yeah, I think uh, the last time I remember the Lions doing anything significant was when Barry Sanders yeah. was their back. Long time so. ago. Long yeah. time ago. <laughs> okay, Bob, thank you very much for joining us, sir. Okay, you guys, yep. Coach's show, GMAC, what time tonight? 7 till 8, right here on the home of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, 680 CJOB. When was Barry Sanders in Detroit? That would have been in the 80s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he retired far too young. I think he might have played until, I want to say 92, 93, but I have to Google foo that one. I'm going really on memory there. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Tickets up for grabs for the Tenors Santa's Wish Tour, the Centennial Concert Hall, Wednesday, December 1st. Based on your stories about picky eating at 204-780-6868. And, uh, Loren, this first one uh, involving something lemonish made us all laugh. Well, I remember encountering this for the first time when I was like 10 or 11 years old as a kid, so this is why this stands out. This listener said... When I was around seven, we came into the city from the country and our family met relatives from out of province at a fancy restaurant. Much to the horror of my parents, I picked up the finger bowl filled with water and lemon that was supposed to be used to wash your fingers and I proceeded to drink it. My father looked at my mom and said, it is time to get this girl out of the country <laughs> or maybe back to the country. Who knows? But I re- I remember seeing that for the first time at a rib place when I was about 10 and I did not know what it was. So I feel like that's an honest mistake. Lemon for sure. 
lemon soup. It's so delicious. <laughs> Does that go up with your wiener water soup there, Greg? Yeah, it's, oh, on, it's on par. There's more protein in the wiener water soup, though. Uh, Shirley also had a good one. Yeah, Shirley says, my granddaughter who turns 12 today. Happy birthday to Shirley's granddaughter. She must be one of the world's pickiest eaters. She only recently tried cheese pizza and barbecued chicken. Up to now, her three meals a day have only consisted of fresh fruit and goldfish crackers. Can you imagine how much her parents have spent on goldfish crasher? Gold- <laughs> Try that again. Goldfish crackers over the years for her school lunches and whenever they dined out, they needed to pack goldfish crackers and fruit. Nothing else. Very cheap meal. Order of apple juice at birthday parties. Their close friends would serve goldfish crackers. This is insane. Fortunately, vitamins uh, were used as a supplement, although my granddaughter is a tiny girl. She's surprisingly tall, but still a picky eater. Oh, by the way, she has added plain bread with no butter or jam to her <laughs> diet, Shirley. So, Shirley, you're, you're, you're making some progress at least. Just plain bread. Oh, man, that is great. That is con- like commitment to the goldfish cracker. Uh, but who could blame who could blame her? They're, They're tasty. I had those <laughs> last night for a bedtime snack, if yeah. I'm being honest. They're awesome. Delightful. But uh, Jason Todd is our winner. And Jason says, in the epic battle that is kid versus parents, my sister and I simply did not stand a chance versus our mom. She was born in 1940 in Central Europe and grew up with a lack of food and an appreciation for any food that her family was able to get. She exposed us to all types of foods and expected us to clean off our plates, a habit I still have to this day. There were still foods we did not like. Liver, creamed spinach, Brussels sprouts, just to name a few. And her favorite trick was to prepare these foods on Halloween, and we could not start... Trick or treating until you guessed <laughs> it. Whiz. Our plates were her. clean. Victory always went <laughs> to mom. Here, here. Boy, that's a commitment to having your kids eat liver and creamed spinach. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you want to? You want to go get some candy? <laughs> eat this cream. I spinach. should Holy try crow. that next year. That's del- that's terrific. Kudos to mom. Oh, that sounds kind of mean to me. Jason, no. congratulations! You eat win it. the tickets. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.